It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday november 2nd and you're listening to episode 440 once again i'm your host jason this week joined again by nicole and anthony how's it going you two (laughs) every time you hit the honky it's going pretty good um we have something important to tell you jason that you um, waited to say until we were recording the podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's the, it's the quarantine. So it's like a black hole of despair. So a couple weeks ago, Anthony and I were like, you know what? You know, screw it. Let's just rewatch all the Marvel movies. So we did. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was like, Jason's nice. going to love this. So I'm going to wait until we're recording. Like, yes. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's an investment, right? Yeah. We well, just found, finished them with the kids a few months ago. So we finished last night. Um, we started mid September. Um, we took a little break in the middle to watch a couple of horror movies. Um, but the, so that's it's so interesting. I found a list of ways to watch them, and one of the ways to watch them was like not only did it have the movies in release order, it also had the short films released on each DVD inserted nice. into the order, and then yes. also the Agents of Shield and agent carter seasons and where they were supposed to fall oh wow it was it was very but i but we didn't do that um did, did I okay say 30 okay hours i really undershot that because there's like there's it. like, like 50 hours movies. of movies yeah, yeah. oh i mean there's there's like seven seasons of agents of shield with like 20 episodes each season no, i'm not so. including that i'm just yeah, talking about <laughs> we've watched all but the most recent season of agents of shield because i keep doing this thing where i'm like When's Shield coming back? And then I check, and it's like tonight's the season, uh, the last episode of the season. And I'm like, wow, yeah. we missed the whole season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so I, yeah, I have I a couple of I have a couple of things to say. Uh, one is that um, you know, in watching them, you know, the first time over a period of what twelve years, thirteen years, how mm-hmm. long have mm-hmm. they been out? Yeah, yeah. I completely forgot whole characters entire story arcs from movie yeah, to movie. Like, yeah i forgot bucky was in the first captain america because when he showed up in yep. when he showed up in winter soldier i was like who is that right and yeah he yeah, yeah. Them in the comics right i don't read any of these comics so it was very it was so much it was so much better watching them all back to back and it was yeah. so much fun watching them all back to back because you you catch all these tiny things, you know what I mean? They're all fresh. Yep. Yeah. And you realize other... how many things they tied together yes. that you didn't realize in the beginning. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. Well done. Yeah. yeah. So well done. And then the other thing is that characters that I didn't give a crap about for like over a decade, like <laughs> I ended up loving at the end and then getting to rewatch all the movies like yeah. and loving them from the first movie instead was a treasure. Nice. An yes. Who treasure. who specifically jumped I, out at you like that? I did not like Captain America for the first like oh, yeah. twelve years of Marvel movies, and then Endgame. <laughs> by the end, by the end of Endgame, I was like, I am in love with Captain America. I am in love with Chris Evans. I love yeah. this, and I can't yeah. believe it took me until the last movie. So rewatching them was like sheer absolute joy to like re-experience his character arc through a totally different lens it was great yeah no i feel the same way i wasn't as huge into captain america until the later movies and i was like oh this guy's awesome yeah and then re-watching the old stuff makes it even better um, plus the little cameos like captain america pops up in thor 2 randomly i mean it's not actually captain america but he's so good yeah. Um, and oh yeah, no. There's just Captain America's a, lot. a real testament to their writing too, because he's such a he's such a bland character, yeah. like yep. by comics yep. and whatnot. That like for them to make him so enjoyable, when by all rights he shouldn't, he should be as boring as Cyclops <laughs> from the X Men. You know what I mean? Like which yeah. one? Which yeah. one was he in? Where the, he was just a series of um, like infomercials for kids. Was it was it Ho- Spider Man Homecoming where he's like, so you got detention? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like. Yep. Like, tr- like I, I like actively treasured those moments. Like <laughs> well, it, the it teacher's was... like, I'm pretty sure this guy's a war criminal, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just yes. such a joy to rewatch them all. So, but now we're done, and so tonight we started rewatching The Mandalorian season one. Yeah, that's also very good. I want to give a shout out. You mentioned the um, the little one shot movies. Uh, the my absolute favorite of all those is a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer. Uh, with Coulson when he goes to the gas station, ends up stopping like the attempted robbery. We've it's never one of my seen favorite. any of them. Okay. You've got to watch that one. Just like, it's like five minutes. Like after we're done here, just pull it up and watch it. It's so good. Okay. It is just like, it is like prime Coulson, right? Like it's like everything you love about Coulson in one. Coulson is my absolute favorite character from any of the Marvel movies ever. I just He's adore that man. Also, the guy in real life, Clark Gregg, is pretty awesome. So... Um, yeah, but anyways, I He's digress. So I love Agents of Shield so much. His delivery is always like perfect. He's adorable. Yeah, like he definitely makes it. He's so good. Indeed. So Mandalorian, yeah, that comes out in another week after. Well, actually, um, when this airs, uh, I was gonna yeah, say actually, uh, no, it already came out. It just came out, so we you have already watched two or three right. episodes. For- because I we the best I can do is one episode a night because my wife watches with me and she's not a let's binge this type person. It um, only comes out I, one episode at a time. Oh, yeah, you're right. This one does. So we'll have only watched one episode. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to a different show uh, that you two might also enjoy uh, that is completely out of the comic realm. Uh, but we just watched Fleabag and just finished that. The I British really want to watch that Fleabag. one. That's on it my list. so good. You ha- So you have to... For us, we had to struggle through the first few episodes of it just not being as funny as we wanted it to be. And then it gets funnier and funnier. And then in season two, they introduce um, uh, Andrew, Andrew something. I can't remember his name. Andrew Smith or something. Uh, the actor um, who played Moriarty in Sherlock, mm-hmm. like the TV series Sherlock, uh, is a priest in season two. And it might be the best character ever made ever. Um, but there's also this underlying thing that every time he's talking, you're like, is he a homicidal maniac? Because like <laughs> you're thinking of Moriarty. Um, I, I don't know if you like Sherlock or not, but Moriarty to me was one of the best performances ever. It's another um, one I haven't seen that I really would oh, love to see. Oh, you got to watch it. It's so good. It's so the good. The last season, eh, it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh yeah benedict cumberbatch loves feminist lumberjacks um so um yeah <laughs> anyways so enough about all that hey we're gonna talk about something game related i know i know nicole and anthony are on we're gonna talk about something game related what <laughs> but we are um we're actually going to talk about something that uh, that Anthony is on for because, well, Anthony was going to be on either way. But then I was like, since he's going to be on, I want to talk about this topic that he knows way more and Nicole and I do about. And Nicole probably knows more than me through like even just osmosis of like being close to Anthony. Probably not um, that much more as you would might think. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she could just be like, Anthony will do it, whatever. I know that you should name your layers. Um, <laughs> I know enough to fake it. <laughs> I know enough to fake it. Yeah, that's exactly true. I learned the hard way you should name your layers. But so what we're going to talk about is um, we want to talk a bit about um, doing uh, good graphic design, not for not for published games. Obviously, you need that. But we're, we're thinking more about um, for prototypes in the fact that um, I, I've in the early on received a lot of negative feedback about bad, um, bad graphic design. Um, and it's just little things that I've learned over the years where it's like, gosh, like, you know, if you make a card game with numbers, put the numbers in the top left corner so that people can see them when they fan them out, right? Like, that's my biggest trick that I've learned. So uh, hopefully you've got more than that, Anthony, because that's all I got. Um, but no, so <laughs> well, so we just kind of wanted to talk graphic about graphic design on a prototype because otherwise your feedback is going to be corrupted with graphic design feedback. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. People yes. aren't going to be able to get past the graphic yes. design to give you feedback on the thing you want to test, which is not the graphic design, right? And we have joked about that on the show numerous times. And by I say joked about it, I mean complained about it because I've we've had feedback sessions where it's nothing but one person being like, you know, this graphic design. And I'm like, you know, I will I will fight you, sir. I will fight you. Just well, stop. Yeah. I and get a lot it. Of times it's bad. When, when we go to like Metatopia or any other prototyping event, like game developers will straight up be like, hey, I'm looking for feedback, but not on graphic design. Please do not give me yeah, feedback it's... on graphic design. So like... And then you, you like, 
I think that's the best way to just cut that off at the pass. You know what I mean? And then uh, Anthony just flips the table. Game. He's like, I was going to get feedback on that. And he just flips the table and walks away. <laughs> well, that's just it. You can say I don't want feedback on the graphic design, but that doesn't change the fact that their experience was through a layer right. of bad graphic design. So right, if you right. just tell them to not tell you about it, it doesn't mean it's not affecting their right. their feedback. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. So the solution is to not have bad graphic design so that it doesn't corrupt their feedback at all. I mean, it, it really has to do with the type of game as well. I mean, different game right. experiences require different amounts of, of interaction with your with your graphic design. The bigger and more complicated a game is might actually mean that you need less graphic design for it because you're already asking the player to kind of digest so much right. that really like any one little graphic design problems look is very small in comparison to how big the thing is but if you have a very small simple game then that's when these kind of graphic design stuffs can can really get in the way so i when you're talking about feedback i want to just hit up on that one of the things i'll always say to people if no one brings up the graphic design i'll say like usually at the end of the feedback once everyone else has given their feedback to say like hey was there anything you change about the cards to make them a little more readable or um and i found that that can be nice because at that point it's pretty it's pretty like, you know, it's pretty safe to ask that question because it's not going to overwhelm the feedback. Right. Um, and I know at least for myself, I've gotten a lot less graphic design feedback over the year over, oh, now, like in the last like couple years than I used to early on because I've learned some just simple tricks for like, um, you know, making the cards work a little better certain ways. Um, but, you know, I'm working on a game with Ken Franklin, the designer, and we uh, the game is very heavily graphic. Like like you have to have good graphic design on it. And like that is the thing we've changed the most about the game since started working at since we started working on it, because the game is unplayable uh, for some people if the graphic design's not perfect. <laughs> so yeah. we found that every iteration has been like 10 percent changing the rules, 90 percent changing the graphic design to be more of a better interface that people can pick up on. Um so, but, but Anthony, I really enjoy that actually myself. Uh, I find that, you know, maybe it's because the type of games we make, or maybe it's the way we design, but I very often will start with kind of a graphic design kind of little twist or some idea I have about a way to do like layered cards or like mm -hmm. put some art on it. And then I'll try to like think from mm -hmm. there outwards, or I'll allow the graphic design to sort of influence the rules, you know what I mean? And, and, and say like, well, if I could do this with this components, then that would be a cool thing for this, so this game. And that would be like a unique thing for the game. You know what I mean? To think like, you know, have right. these cards laid out this way. And that would be different than all this other stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. That is not of all the tips and stuff. I thought you might say that is not something that I expected to hear. Like thinking about how some people like theme first and other people like, no, no, no rules first mechanics. And you're like, no, no graphic design first. Like I just make some sweet cards and then that helps me design a game. I know that's not what you're saying, but like I, I get where you're coming from. Like seeing the interactivity, if you're visual like that, yeah, seeing yeah. how the cards can interplay. I think I, I, I'm a visual person and I think I design visually. So I'll, I will allow the graphic design and the art of the game to, to drive the development of the game as right. well. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not an afterthought. It's a, this is how we get there. Is through the graphic design of it. Yeah. That's, it's not uncommon for me to, when I'm working on a game, I'll like ask myself early on, like if you were going to publish this game, what artist would you hire for it? Right. right. And you can't say Quan Chai every time. Um, but no, like I, I, I don't even like, I will go out and just start Googling around and looking for a style. Um, and then that style kind of helps me inform thematically like the like seriousness of the game right like is this going to be light and fun is this going to look more heavy and serious um and that's kind of like i use art to help me with that um right. but i would never say i use graphic design like that only because i'm so bad at graphic design and like you know trying to figure it out that for me it's really just like what is the least i can do to make this card usable and readable um and not confusing to other players well, that's been a, a serious consideration with this tank game that we've been working on for a while now. And that, like, we're working on this game right now. It's called Tank Robbers. 
And it's like a tank combat game where you're driving through a city and shooting at each other as tanks and trying to steal gold from the town, right? And you can look at this in a number of ways. And the publisher that's looking at it was worried that we were going for like a gritty kind of World War II kind of Storm Normandy accurate. kind of thing. Yeah, historically um, accurate. And like really had to put it forth that like that's not what we're going for at all. This is like zany, zany cartoon tanks like shooting at each other and jumping over buildings and stuff. Yeah. And all of that had to come across in the graphic design and the art. The art had to really push it forward. And, and the publisher is even worried that like too many people are going to say tanks and think of no, that other thank thing. You. Yeah, and yeah. so the what the cover is going to look like and really getting across the zany cartoon tankness of it is super important to like the development of the game. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's also the the graphic design of it is being has always been a big huge influence on it because I set certain requirements on like the font size and the card size and like I want these to be half size cards as opposed to these to be full-size cards so that you can't mix them up and right. shuffle them together, yeah. right? But since they're half-size cards and I require my fonts to be at least this big at all times in the game, it means any rules that are on that card can Have only be, easy, be so many words long. Yeah. So great. that's right. influencing the rules, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like one thing leads into another and they're all in the mix. So one of the things you said there that I think that was all good and interesting. So two things that pop out. One is funny because... Maybe it's because I know you all, or maybe it's because I play a lot of iPhone games where like they're all silly animation art and I've played some tank fighting games. Right. But like the idea that either of you would be like, let's design like a Normandy like tank game just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> so like I always assumed it was like fun, cutesy art. Um, but the other thing you said that really stuck out to me as helpful is card sizing. Um, with prototypes especially, I mean, obviously with, with published games, it matters as well, but with prototypes, the idea of making it easy to call out different types of cards instantly is really helpful. Um, especially if you've sent a prototype to a publisher or having a blind play tester. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've never considered that card size would be an easy way to do that. What, what I usually do is I have invested a good deal of money into card sleeves of every color possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I do is every type of deck gets a new color card sleeve. So that when you lay those cards out, I can actually say like the pink sleeves or the blue sleeves, right? And it's or like the purple sleeves. It's really easy to just be like, boom, this is the deck he's talking about. Right. Um, but card size is also a, a card size is a cheaper way to do that. If you're making your own cards, which a lot of us do, right? We're putting the cards, cutting right. them out, re sizing to square cards or something. That's a fantastic idea. Um, I tried to did not occur to me. I try to use a different card size or shape for each deck if possible. Um, just to just to make sure that they don't get mixed up. I, I wish more stuff used different card size for things so that you didn't have a chance mm -hmm. of shuffling them together. Right, yeah. Um, I realize most people will prototype by doing sleeves like you're talking about, and therefore they're going to do everything as like poker cards. But for us, I mean, because I, A, I hate sleeves. I don't like using sleeves. Yeah. Um, we ended up printing everything and cutting it out all the time. So we get a corner cutter, we cut the corners and we print on cardstock and we consistently get like, wow, your cards feel really nice. How do you do this? Or like we That's put them great. together by hand. And we so printed since, them we're, since we're doing that, we can cut the cards at whatever size we want. Yeah. Um, so, and I also think there's a, a bit of a hierarchy of importance of cards to the game in size as well. Like yeah. in our mm -hmm. tank game, the cards that you use the most are the poker size cards and everything else is a smaller size card. It's not as big of a deal to the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a supplementary card and it, that's clear by the shape of it and the size of it, right? Um, that is another good point too. The idea of like... If you don't want to do card size and i find this is a little frustrating i find in a lot of games published games is they they don't just name the decks like on the back of yeah. the card just say what that card is right like in the right. art put a title on the back of the card so in the rules you can say these cards and everybody right. can look at the back of the card and be like these are the cards they're talking about right. not right. or or make it blatantly obvious right like it's the treasure deck so put a freaking treasure chest on the back yeah. right like yeah. oh it's the treasure deck right it's the treasure i mean um, the back of the card yeah. to the to the play of the game generally doesn't have much like you know you're not looking at it very often right. right it's only when it's a deck when it's a deck and it's sitting on the table and they're all face down and that's when you need to know i'm reaching for this deck or that yeah, deck yeah. and the rules need to say this deck or deck just put the name of it on there yeah, like in yeah. the art right, right 
Just put it on there. So in your prototypes, always name the back of your cards what they are. That's what I would so, say. So if you're not going to do colors like he was saying with sleeves. Yeah, like we've ha- we've seen people where they have two different decks and the decks are supposed to be separate, but the backs are the same. But like oh, the background oh, of the front my of the card is different. And we're like, no, you have to easily be able to separate those cards and easily be able to tell which right. deck is which. Being able to separate. I've seen them. that in published games. Yeah. I've seen Looking. that in published games. Yes, in published games, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's the thing I would say. I, I, I wish people would... Try different card sizes, and then if nothing else, label the back of your cards what they are. It just makes yeah. running a, a prototype super easy, especially if you're going to do a blind play test. Yeah, like, I, I cannot stress this enough. You do not need to have the logo of your game on the back of every single card in your game. <laughs> you no, would you shouldn't. How many people do that? Like, yeah. so many people do that. Published games also, I hate seeing yeah. the title of the game on the back of the cards in the game. Over and it's over, just and over a, again. It just yeah. feels like... I've I already, already bought your game. Right, I've already bought the game. I don't need to be splashed with your your like. You don't need to advertise sell. it fifty two more times to me. I already bought it. You know, you. I mean, I get when you're getting away with not getting more art for another different card back. Like, yeah, I understand that, but like, except for mm-hmm. Avocado Smash, Avocado Smash should have Avocado Smash on the back of every single. Card. Well, Avocado Smash is just a the deck whole point of cards. Of the That's game it. is a smash. <laughs> you want to smash? Remind me to smash every time. <laughs> um. No, I was thinking about that. Like in some of my published games, I've seen that. But I also design a lot with double-sided cards, which fixes that problem. Ha ha ha. So something else that pops into mind, this isn't specifically graphic design related, but I'm really interested to hear your opinion on it, hearing this other stuff you're pointing out that I wasn't expecting. So when it comes to tracking things, whether it's using chits or chips or whatever tokens... Like what, what are some things that you think are best practice for that? Um, Anthony has definite opinions on this one. <laughs> I, I assumed he would. That's why I'm asking. I have strong and, you know, it's at times controversial opinions on it. And that's that oh, I, I even better track something by giving or taking something from me. Mm-hmm. So if you are giving me points, give them to me as a physical thing. Give me chits, give me tokens, give me coins, give me a thing. When I pay for something in a game, I want to be taking it from my pile of things and paying it into the bank or giving away something. He wants it to be as visceral as possible. I don't... I hate sliders and uh, points ladders. Well, you know, you remember your games when they have the points that go around the edge of the map? Those mm-hmm. drive me yeah. up the wall. I, 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 I can't... <laughs> I don't like them, you I don't like I don't them like because them. I... They're so often, like, in uh, Sushi Go Party, like, they give you, like, little, like, sake bottles. Those are so easy to knock over. They're so easy to knock over. I mean, you could be playing, like, a big, complex, three-hour Euro game, and it's tracking all the points. The most important part of the game is how many points you have around the edge of it, and somebody bumps the table and your points slide off, and now you're not exactly sure where they were. Yeah. Why? Right. Like I, I just, I just hate that. So at all times I want to track points using a coin or a chit or something that I'm, that's not going to move. I'm really against anything that can be bumped and miss, misaligned, yeah. misaligned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If, it, if, if we get to the end of the game and it got bumped at some point and I lost by two points and I'm wondering, did that happen because of the bump? That like, win, that's going to really bump. That that's win, really going to bug me. That win now has an asterisk Big next old to asterisk it. on that Big one. old asterisk <laughs> next to it. Um, so I, I personally think that if you can ever get away with not having that kind of point tracker, you should. I know that it's not within the, you know, it's not within the manufacturing costs to, to give tokens on every game that there is. Um, and sometimes it's not feasible, but... If there's going to be some kind of slider like that where I'm where I'm moving a cube up or down, I would like it to be that double. That I know a lot of places do it now. They have the double thick chipboard with with like holes, mm-hmm. so you put the cube in the holes as opposed to, you know, having it be kind of loose on top of stuff. So if that's possible, mm-hmm. I prefer that as well. Um, I don't like clips on the sides of cards; those things break. I don't like having to worry about them breaking because it's just a component that feels chintzy in a game, no matter how well your game is thought out of it has a chintzy component. In it. it makes the, t- takes all experience down. How do you feel about the um, King of Tokyo uh, cards that keep track of both your, your hearts and your, those and are great points. You like, those? yeah. Like yeah. The, oh, the dials. The dials. Yeah, the dials, yeah. dials. Yeah. I like those too. I wish more stuff yep. used dials like that. I, and I think that I, those dials themselves are a, an underexplored, like visual element. Like, um, mm-hmm. 
we have a game, Kobolds, our, our, our co-op game, you have six actions during the day. And right now we use tokens that you flip over. You have six action tokens and they're during the day. So on the day they have the sun and on the back they have the moon. So once they're all on oh, the moon, that makes you sense. Know, the day is over, right? That's good graphic design, actually. <laughs> so that's the way we did it with tokens. But the way I would really do it is I would have the character sheet, the character card of your character would have its powers on it. And then it would have King of Tokyo style dials, dials mm-hmm. under it. And yeah. those dials wouldn't just have, you know, six suns and six moons on it. What it would have would be a dial that slowly goes from morning to midday to noon to night as you go yeah. up the points. Like like an old style clock, you know what I mean? Like to, sh- to show the art of something changing through the timeline of the points would be... I, that's why I think dials are like underappreciated as a uh, element, game element. Listeners, I married him. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an expensive component also, right? Like... So, for, <laughs> yeah. So for like, if you're going to track points um, in a prototype, what's your favorite like physical thing to use? What do you typically use for oh, that gosh. sort of thing? I mean, everybody wants nice, poker heavy, chips. those nice, heavy poker chips, but those are ridiculous. God, I'm, feel totally, so good. Yeah. I'm totally fine with, with chipboard, you know, punch, punch board tokens. Uh, one I of think the that's things, fine. I'll tell you one of the things that we did was um, we have like almost every smash up expansion ever made we've got like up until like two years ago we have all the smash ups Mm -hmm. and we the points are so unwieldy that we just ended up getting a a deck of a box from sleeve covers a box Mm -hmm. of sleeves took the sleeves out and just used that and filled it with the points so whenever we're playing a game we keep that with our prototyping stuff because it's like a million one pointers right. and a million five pointers, and they're so they're they're very ubiquitous and easy. Yeah, and you can do things mm-hmm. like you know if you know your game only goes from like one to six points or something like that, you can do things like have you don't need a lot of tokens to to equate the the range of numbers right. there because if you can have tokens that have one on one side and two or three on the back side, and right. then your tokens are doing double duty, right, yeah, you're flipping them over. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. I, I, I usually that's the things we like about Oink games. Oink games have a has a really unique system in some of their games that that we really like a lot. Yeah, like today I, I was thinking about for our tank game, you have a number of injuries you'll take before your tank is destroyed, um, and it's three injuries to your tank is destroyed. And so I'm thinking, okay, if the game's four player, that means we need twelve tokens, right? But you don't need twelve tokens because the third injury is you're destroyed. So you, only need you don't need tokens. that token. Yeah. You just need two tokens. Right. right. And then and then I thought, okay, but then if we have a character that says that you get destroyed at four tokens, that means I need four times two plus one. I need nine tokens, right? And then I'm thinking about the graphic design of the tokens. They represent injury to your crew. So on one side, I could have a bunch of different crew faces that are the crew members in my tank. And on the other side, I could have them injured. So they have bandages or right, it looks like right. they've been blown up and they have soot covered faces. And right. I could have a lot of zany kind of character in there. I was just thinking that we could we wouldn't even have to have eight. You could just have four and one has a skull on one side and one has two skulls on the other side. Oh, sure. And then you just take one and yeah, you yeah, just yeah. Take one and then flip so it, it goes to show like yeah. if you get into doing those tokens, you don't need to, you don't need a lot of them right. to cover your bases. It's also really weird to think about like as, as like game designers, how economical you try to be about this kind of stuff. Like, like you, you really think about how to minimize the number of components that you need. Which is funny sometimes too, because like those tokens are like probably a hundred. They're of a like, cent yeah, they're so, nothing. yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, I always try to do the math. I'm like, okay, so what do I need to, um, like for this, like how many, like, you know, the idea of like, well, I don't actually need four. I just need three per person, right. which by the way, when I was growing up, I never understood why in baseball there were three strikes. But if you look at a scoreboard that tracks information, there were only two slots for strikes. Right. And that would drive me crazy. And I realized, you know, like, oh yeah, because after two, like the third one doesn't get marked. They're just out. Right. Um, but yeah, it's the same type of thing, but not everyone thinks of that, you know, and or they'll I just grab a handful of tokens and like that can be like that can be when a publisher looks at that and sees like all the tokens or you know, or a playtester looks at that and sees this huge pile of tokens and they're not necessary. Um, I don't know. I think it can just feel a little daunting to look at that and be like, oh, you know, is this like what am I getting into with this game? And then it's like, oh yeah, it's no, it's not like that. Well, um, I typically use uh cubes. Cause I have like a huge thing of multicolored cubes so I can use cubes to track different things. Like I literally have like 2000 of them, 
Um, yeah, we have, we have one of these I... bad boys. A bu- she's showing a bucket of tubes we, we on the a... audio yes. podcast. <laughs> we have a bucket of centimeter cubes, set in a thousand that we like, that we like yeah. separated by color. Yep. I me think too. partially because Anthony got sick of me um, organizing them every single time we dumped the bucket out. <laughs> yep. Me too. No, I uh, have the same thing. My daughter is a big fan of organizing. So one day I dumped them all out and said, put these in separate bags. And she was like, yes she was was into it for like an hour it was great she was so excited she just today was like daddy is there anything you need me to sort in your game design stuff and i was like not right now and she's like oh okay (laughs) sometimes it's like oh this is messed up can you sort it like sure (laughs) um but the other thing i i lucked into um i this job i had like 10 years ago gosh um they had bought all of these gold pirate coins like the little plastic kid ones you know like like thousands of them uh for this contest they had and then that contest was done and they were just in a drawer and somebody's like i gotta throw these things away and i was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. i'll take those thanks um and that was You're even like one man's trash treasure is another man's treasure treasure <laughs> exactly so exactly so anyway so i I still use those and I've over the years like have acquired other bags and like I was like at a garage sale and for a dollar somebody had like 200 of them and I was like I'll take those um, and so that's like whenever I need to have money that's usually what I use because it just because it feels like money right like you talk about that visceral feeling right it, it, it's gold coins you know so that that is kind of my favorite go-to with that if I want to be fancy I will attempt to mark tokens like where I print labels and stick them to tokens but I'm going to tell you how much I hate that a lot. <laughs> However, I just got a laminator. I just got a laminator. Uh, and I got like, it wasn't super expensive. It was like 30 or 40 bucks or something. Um, and then I went on Amazon and invested in 200 page size lamination sheets for $30. And they're the five mil ones. So they're nice and thick. Um, and I just started. So audio podcast, everyone, audio podcast. So I, I had, I took, took roll estate and printed my boards for that for chris michaud's game oh, yeah. uh, and this is i mean this is nice and thick you actually i found can print on cardstock and laminate the cardstock yeah so it makes it like really i mean look at that doesn't even barely bend sorry sorry listeners anyways it looks impressive on the video yeah i always um, want to do uh, like D character sheets like that Ooh, so yeah, you could so just, you just like dry erase them. it yeah. yeah i think that so you my... owe it to your grandchildren to get a waterproof treasure chest bury it somewhere in your backyard make a treasure map hide it in the attic or something so that when your grandkids come over one day they'll be like what's this and then they'll (laughs) dig it up and then they'll find like 200 of those pirate coins and they'll probably never trust anyone ever for the rest of their lives but they'll (laughs) have a really good time finding that treasure chest they'll think they were going to find the rich stuff but it turns out that it's just fake pirate coins yeah yeah, yeah. Can For we talk about the fact that the name of the character they're following that is One-Eyed Willy? Can we, like, is that, like, that is not appropriate, <laughs> right? Like, did, as kids, oh did God, we just I not realize that? It. You never thought of that? I never knew I was too young. <laughs> I did it until many that. years later, and I was like, wait a minute. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because there's well, you so, have to like, wonder is like you know, about saying when they right. say one-eyed Willie, they're not like saying it in a like diminutive way. You know, they're like, Oh, it's one-eyed Willie. Right. <laughs> yeah. So well, anyways. Wow, that's a joke they played on me that, that kept going for 40 years. Now, you know, now I know. So, sorry, Jason. No. Oh no, no. I was, we were uh, going to get a cry cutter. You ever seen one of those? Cricket. Yes, yes. Is it yeah. crackhead or cricket? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I feel this is what I feel like. I feel like, and listen, I'm just going to, builders, if you are a crafty person, and I don't mean a game designer crafty person, I mean somebody who like likes to make like crafty stuff, like scrapbooks and stuff, I have nothing against you at all. I have total respect for you. But y'all seem like the demographic that would want to call it a cricket. So I feel like it's called a cricket. Sure. Like that's my guess. It's like cute, we yeah. might call it a cry cut. They would call it a cricket, and so I'm gonna just believe that's who it was designed for, and they're gonna call it a cricket. So yeah. <laughs> well, we were thinking about getting one of those because it's for, for people that don't know, it's basically a printer that uses a blade instead of a instead of a an ink, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you can program it in to cut shapes through 
I think it was up to like soft plywood, like yeah, not yeah. plywood, but balsa wood. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Balsa wood. Yeah, I was like plywood. Oh my gosh! How do you fit that in the machine? <laughs> no, no, no. But it, but it cuts through some pretty thick stuff, and it'll and you can program right. it to cut shapes out. So we were going to get like chipboard and use it to make our own tokens and whatnot. Because then we would just need to print on an adhesive sheet, put it on some chipboard, and then put it through the cry cut, and it would cut out the shapes and whatever shape tokens we wanted. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we bought a printer and we haven't used the printer. Well, I mean, we bought it right before quarantine, right as we stopped needing actual physical prototypes. (laughs) Is it it only seven months old? Yeah, I think so. I feel like we've had a lot longer than that. Because that's what I bought mine too. Because it's the same printer that you have. Oh right, it's the same printer. That's right. Beast right here. Yeah, the same printer you have. Because Jason looked like I didn't know how big it was. How? Why did you? How did? Could you do this to me? It was. It was also. (laughs) It was also out of black ink. About five seconds after I ter- put the black ink into the yeah. thing. So. Yeah, it's a rude machine. Yeah, the uh, and when you refill the ink, that is the thing. It's a hundred bucks to refill the ink from what I've the best price I've found. Um, but mine lasted for quite a while. So and now that I'm going to be laminating more stuff because now I'm a laminator, I laminate things. Uh, lamination. So because of that, I should have to print less. You're like That's Jason's. Your your business cards will say like Jason Slingerland, and then I don't know what do you have an MS MA. BA, BS. BA. I have a BA. BA, comma, laminator. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, what are uh, anything else we want to specifically talk about with graphic design? So, um, here, let me just ask you some questions. Is that cool? Sure. To ask yeah. you some questions about. All right. So, um, so. When it comes to how to split up a card effectively, like you actually know better yet, because this question's pre is better. Whatever, I'm gonna ask a different question. <laughs> so I reclaim my time. I reclaim my time. Um, <laughs> um, From yourself. So, okay, yeah. So artwork. What is it that makes you just like if you're making a game with a card? What makes you like determine how much artwork? You know, I'm not talking about getting artwork done. I'm talking about like, when you go out and either find like icons or something you use or whatever, or make your own art. Like, what makes you decide how much to do of that for a card? Like, you know, what what's kind of like your go to decision point on that? Like, how much art to put on a card? On a prototype? Yeah, because it, it, it varies, right? Because at least the, the reason I'm asking is from my perspective is sometimes I'll put art on a card for reasons of like making it easy to recall. So whenever I see this wand, I know that it's wands and that I want to like look for more wands, right? Or yeah. if I see that it's a star, then I'll know that every time I see a star, it does the same thing, right? Um, but like, be, like beyond that, are there other things that make you consider how much art you need to make a prototype usable in the best way. I don't think you need any art necessarily for a prototype. If what we're talking about is art, like illustrations, graphic design and icons and stuff are another story, but I don't. Right. I mean, you would need art if you were trying to push a theme that wasn't represented in the text and, or via icons in some way, right? Like in magic, you know, you have like red spells, right? And they might have to be all mountain themed. Right. But like, even if you took the art off of it, you would still know they were red because they had like red mana icons and whatnot. So right, right. Um, I think you should try to try to get off. Try to. I mean, you could get away with no art essentially if, if it's a prototype because that's not your job. Um, and then you want to try to push across as much theme and as much narrative as you can without the art. And it's only, it's only right. once you need to push your you need to express a narrative that only can be expressed through the art that you would need art for it. Right. Right. That's I think where I struggle is trying to determine at what point do I want to press that theme and narrative more because, um, because so many of the games I work on, I want that theme or narrative to really come through early on then again i've had games that are complete abstract and it just doesn't matter right um right. and they've ended up with like into the black forest ha- went through so many different iterations that had nothing to do with what it ended up being and it doesn't matter like um like it didn't affect the game in any negative way 
but I've had other a lot of other games where it's like, okay, this is the theme. I want to convey this theme immediately to the players. Right. Um, so I sometimes struggle with not overdoing it for art, thinking that it will increase playability. Well, then I'm probably not a good person to talk to because I always <laughs> overdo it. Um, but but an example of what you're talking about again in our tank game, like it was really important that we get across that this is not trying to be a simulationist kind of game and right. that it's cartoonish right. and zany. Right. So like, for instance, if you blow up a building and inside of it, you pick up a gold bar, right? I made sure that when you blow that building up, there's the records of the building and then there's a gold bar the size of that building. Which is so absurd. To get across like, <laughs> and it was important to me because it was like, this is not trying to simulate actual scale, right? Right. Yeah, this is yeah. just right. trying to be symbols and fun. And you just, I just need you to see the gold bar. I'm not worried about it looking realistic at all right, yeah. because nothing about this game mm -hmm. is trying to be realistic. So, I mean, there's a bit of that there where I tried to like push the, push the tone of the game across with the art. But one of the important things to express is that Anthony puts art on everything. Like we have, we have full prototypes that do not work that have amazing art on them. Right. That like, that like it's really hard because we're like, well, how do we start over with this? Because he's made so we much art, and he loves it so much. Yeah, we definitely get into like a uh, commitment debt or whatever it's called, where you're like, well, I've already right. put all this work into it. I ha now I have to make it a game that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is something that I've gotten a lot better at. You know, like I'll make a full prototype of a game, do one playtest of it, and be like, "Nope, garbage," and just throw it away. <laughs> um, like, and that took a long time for me to get there because I, I've admitted before on this podcast that you know, we, Rob and I, we would each pitch a game every other week, right? And there was a part of me that, for I would say the good first like thirty episodes, which fifteen or twenty pitches of mine, I believed that at some point I would make prototypes and playtests and maybe publish every single one of those games, which right. is ridiculous, right? Right, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> now I know that that's ridiculous. But so, so I get that feeling of like, and, and I think that whatever you're best at, you're going to play to that, right? So if you're good at graphic design and you have a good eye for art, you're going to overdo it, right? You're going to be like, oh, well, I just love this part. So it just was fun. So I just overdid it, right? Rob used to over graphic design stuff all the time for the same reason. He enjoyed graphic design and he was pretty good at it. So that's what he would do. Yeah. I mean, you got to um, go with what you love, right? I mean, you can't, here's the thing about Anthony. You can't like put anything near him or else he will graphic design it. I mean, your logo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Last time we talked, you graph designed my logo. You sure he did. He does that all the, he does that to people all the time. Like right. it's amazing to watch because it's like his, like, honestly, one thing I'll say to the listeners is like, if you're, if you go to an event and we're there and you have a prototype, like have Anthony play it. If you want graphic design advice, like have him, <laughs> have him play it. Don't just walk up to him and be like, Hey, can you give me some graphic design advice? I like, presumably should be charging for these services. He presumably <laughs> should be charging for these services, but guess what? He doesn't. So right. you might as well capitalize on it while he's still young and stupid. All right. Enough praise of me. <laughs> no, but seriously, like no, no, like joking aside, like I've, I've been in play test where we'll be going through feedback and like Anthony will just start doing something on a piece of paper. And then like, He'll just be like, hey, this is what I think your cards should look like. And it's incredible because he's a visual thinker. You know what I mean? So he right, has right, like right. completely rebuilt the way that the card looks in a really creative way that's on theme in five seconds on a, on a napkin. You know right, what I mean? But then at the same time, the one time we tried to put our game into a spreadsheet, I broke out into hives. And oh, we tried, we tried to... <laughs> There's my fatal flaw. I spreadsheet every single game I work on. Like I will take hours to put in all these formulas to balance everything and stuff. Yeah. And I do it from scratch every time like an idiot. Jason, um, I tried to do that for us with, with one of our games where I was like, well, let's just assign values to the cards. And that way we can make the lower value cards a little harder and the, and the high value cards a little easier. Anthony literally like almost had a nervous breakdown. I was like, just put the cards on the table. Let's just lay them out and like move them around. And I just couldn't do it in the abstract like right. that. But that also tells you why none of our games involve any kind of heavy math or right. strings of numbers and stuff. Like that's just not how I think about 
Right. All right. right. No, and I, but I, yeah, I lean very heavily on spreadsheet design. That is um, spreadsheet. When I was working by myself for the longest time on games, spreadsheets were my co-designer basically, right? Like, you know, the spreadsheet was a way for me to give myself feedback by you put the numbers in a spreadsheet and then go, this doesn't look right. right. What looks wrong about this? Okay, well, let's do some math. And I would set up some calculations and be like, oh, well, that's the problem. You know, and that has saved me from making a lot of prototypes that would have been very bad. Um, it's also, I use it a lot as my, as my like, um, I, if I want to feel how committed I am to working on a game, I start to spreadsheet it. And if I get tired of spreadsheeting it and I stop, then I stop working on the game for now because I realize I didn't want to work on that game as much as I thought I did. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, that's kind know, of my go-to. Playtest groups or we're at Metatopia or whatever. I, I can tell when I get to a game where I'm like, oh, you're a designer who spreadsheets everything. Like I can, I can see it in the design. Right. You know I mean? smell it. Because, because A, there's, you <laughs> I find that spreadsheet. Like you find the, the, the spreadsheet of it, like magical to you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But like, but to me, I can see that like that magic's not going to come across to me because right. the, 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 the symmetry of the spreadsheet and all the numbers working out doesn't mean anything to me it's, really. And, and it hasn't so, made it fun. It hasn't made it any more fun to me to see that, right? Well, that's, and so you have to the, know that at some point your game is going to have to come out of spreadsheets and be appealing to the greater public, right? Because there's right. not, I'd say there's less people that are going to be impressed by the, the the perfectness of the numbers in a game like that right. than there are people that are going to be impressed by the art and the graphic design and the layout. And You know what I mean? Like Anthony's also yeah. heavy on like, uh, like Anthony's, Anthony doesn't like randomness, but likes a little chaos. Does that yeah, make sense? I think. Well, and I, and I also think like table I've... appeal is huge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. there yeah. has to be. It has to. It is, you yeah. have to see what's what's amazing about the game, like in an instant at a convention. So, yeah. you, no one's mm-hmm. gonna no one's gonna grok the amazing math that happened behind the game. But if there's a big cardboard tree there, you know what I mean? Everybody's gonna be like, "What's that cardboard tree?" And then they'll find right. out how amazing the spreadsheet is. But like, right, right. Well, I think that that's. The the really big thing with that for me is that like you need to have the spreadsheet does two things for me. One, it creates the balance, right? So when they see the cardboard tree and when they play your game, your game will be better balanced because you used a spreadsheet. Like right, right. that's just mathematically true, right? However, one of the best piece of advices that John Gilmore ever gave me was do the spreadsheet, make all the math work, and then fix it because it's probably not going to be fun, right? right. And he's yeah. not wrong. But what I like to do that for is when I build a new prototype, um, that allows me to say all the numbers are even, everything is in line. And then if I say, oh, this this card's starting to feel too powerful, why is that? I don't have to say, is it showing up too many times? Is it doing this? I already know exactly what it's doing. Um, and then I can say, okay, well, the card's too good or too bad, right? Um, it doesn't fix every problem, but yes, there are people who will design to a spreadsheet and then you'll play their game and there's you don't feel like the joy and excitement of the game. You just feel like the spreadsheet, right? So yes, you have to make that transition for sure. So yeah, so I think that I think we've done a good covering of this and we are a little short on time here. And I want to make sure we have time to go over a game pitch today because I've got a game that I want to pitch to you all and get some feedback on some changes that I'm attempting to make to it. So I can say one other graphic design. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, when I say we're running out of time, that's not true because it's the internet. We're not going to run out of time. (laughs) It's arbitrary. I said before that I, I try to maintain a certain font size and I think that's really important. If you can get your fonts to be bigger, they should be bigger and setting a minimum font size can really help you constrain what your rules complexity is. If you know that you can't fit that rule onto a card, because it's too much words, then it might be too much words for the for yes. the player. And I think the same is true when it comes to icons, because we were talking about icons a little bit. Um, I always follow a rule that you shouldn't have more than six icons in your game, if possible. And if you ever find yourself stringing icons together in a math formula that, inv- that involves this plus this plus this <laughs> plus this times this, just say it. Yeah. Don't use icons. I call it hieroglyphics, yeah, yeah. right? Nobody wants to try to figure, learn your your game's language to then incite, uh, you know, decipher the hieroglyphics of, of your mechanics. Right. right. There's yeah, a point yeah. at which it's easier just to write it out. Just say yeah. what it does. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. There are times when I appreciate, like when it says, use this symbol, and then that's on your card, and that symbol appears on the board, great. But when it says, add this symbol plus this symbol, nope, 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 you lost me. Right, and then you have a hybrid symbol between these two symbols, and that means that it's either one, like it's too much. Just Or you have the the symbol that's got a line through it, and it's got half of one symbol and half of the other symbol, but your symbols are like a centimeter. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you just made a symbol that's neither symbol, so thanks for that. Yeah. Oh, and also don't ever, don't ever use color if possible as a thing because people are colorblind. So, well, if you're using color, always use something to supplement that color. Like if you're using color, additionally, have it be a shape or have like, like, you have icons and they're each a color, have each one be a different shape as well, or have each one have a different image on the inside of them. Right. But reference the thing, not the color. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I, if I make an icon that is going to be, and I'm going to make that icon a specific color, I will always change the shape to be different between the different colors. Perfect. Uh, and I do that partly for me because I do well with color. So like when I see color, that's going to grab my eye more than a shape would. Right. And I know I'm not the only person who feels that way. So I try and cover all the bases so right. that it's easy for everyone. Right. Also, if um, people don't realize this, there is a colorblind function in Photoshop so that you can oh, check yeah. your work to make sure that it is like visually distinct enough for a colorblind person to see it. Yeah, and if you're going to use color as a signifier and learn about tone, <laughs> learn yeah. about you know, go learn about what tone is and the difference between tone and how it's that's neutral of color, you know what I mean? Like you want right, to have different right. tones, not just different colors. Mhm. Okay, tell us your awesome. game. All right. Yeah. So I've been working on this game with my son for a couple years now and we just um yeah, so the game is called Dodgy Dinos. I've, I've pitched it on the show before. I feel like I may have even talked to you two at some point about the game. Um, but him and I have been talking about the game again. Um, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't remember. But if anybody, the builders are aware of the game. Um, and so the idea was Josiah and I, my, my son, who's now eight, we started working on this game when he was six, I think. And we came up with this game together that is about people rescuing dinosaurs. Uh, from an, like, so dinosaurs have been discovered on an island. But the island is also like sinking into the ocean, right. uh, like with uh, like uh, flaming rocks from a volcano. You know, the, the normal thing that happens when you find dinosaurs, like pretty Restful. much every time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, yes. To be fair, we actually worked on this before that Jurassic World with the things came out. But that's no, cool. I mean, Whatever. Jurassic World's uh, doing all the fun stuff you want. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. So um, and he really wanted to make it like in a game that kids could kind of play, but that adults could play. So we ended up making it a little more complex than it needed to be. Um, and then he was like, well, now I kind of want this to be a kid's game. And I was like, good. Like, I think that's a good idea. Like, let's scale it back. But so the, the basic function of the game is you have a board that is a grid, an eight by eight grid, right? So 64 squares on the grid. Oh, I'm sorry. It's nine by nine, but there are 64 uh, squares that matter within the game. There's basically an edge. And then there are, um, there's like a grid that runs along the top one through eight. And then one that runs on the side, one through eight. Gotcha. Um, and so you're going to get dealt cards uh, and you're going to use those cards to attempt to make dinosaurs get caught by traps because you're trying to rescue the dinosaurs. You want to rescue one of each type. There are five types of dinosaurs. Uh, when you rescue a dinosaur, uh, you take it off the board. Uh, but every time you take an action, that action has a cost. And that cost is in the number. The, it's like time, basically. But it's represented in the number of lava cubes that will fall uh, during your action. Okay. Um, so you roll the two eight-sided dice, and you'll look at the one. You'll find the five if you roll a five, and the three if you roll the other. And then kind of like um, Flashpoint, I've been told like Flashpoint Fire something game, yeah. um, which I've never played, but apparently it has that same system. Then you put a fire token there or a lava token, right? Right. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is similar um, and that, to the uh, Terror Below game also that came out recently. They, they have a system for where the you know Tremors worms come up. You use a cross Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know what that's called. Yeah. Yeah, tier below, yeah. But yeah, you're talking about the grid, yes. So yeah, it's the battleship grid, basically, yeah, right? right. Um, except for its tool numbers. So anyway, so you roll the die, that happens. And then um, that space is out. Um, and so now you have to work around those spaces. And every time you take an action, you're driving this more towards the end, right? Um, and so it's one of those things where like, I was just going to like publish it for him. Like maybe like we talked about doing like a little tiny Kickstarter where it was like, we charged like 30 bucks for the game. So it was kind of expensive, but we only had like a goal of like $500. And then we printed it like a game crafter and stuff. Um, and, uh, 
and I went through several different people who might have done graphic design and I just didn't, the timing never worked out. Right. And then he was like, I want to make this more kid friendly. So, so anyways, now that I'm working on actually publishing rolling, right, roll and write games, it was like, Hey, wait a minute. Like, could this be a roll and write game? Right. Yeah. And immediately it was like, well, it could, first of all, you get rid of a million cubes and now you're just crossing off spaces as lava falls on them. Right. Um, which is pretty great. Um, and then with the roll and write stuff, I really want to have the ability to like people can just print and play it, right? Like yeah. if they can either buy a copy or they can do a print and play of it. So, so that kind of limited some things, right? Like I don't want to use D8s, for instance, because D8s, not everybody has D8s sitting around in a drawer, right? right? I mean, all of our friends do, but that's because they're game designers or gamers or, you know, like role playing gamers. I want anyone to be able to have some six sided dice and play this game, right? right. And I'm comfortable with having up to six dice because that's Yahtzee, right? So like, or is Yahtzee five? Yahtzee's five dice? I think Yahtzee's five dice. Five. So five, Anthony yeah. has never played Yahtzee. Can we talk about how Anthony has never played Yahtzee? <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. You should play Yahtzee. <laughs> Actually, you know what you should play? You should play Roll Estate, which is Yahtzee and Monopoly put together. I play that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I played King of Tokyo, and that's as close to Yahtzee as I need to get because I love. I that just game. think it's hysterical that you refer to it as Monster Yahtzee. It's Monster Yahtzee, and I'm like, and then you told me you had never played Yahtzee. You know how I found out here to play Yahtzee? That ramen Yahtzee set got announced, and I was like, "Oh, we should get this. It's really cool looking." And Anthony was like, "I've never played Yahtzee," and I was like, "We should super get this then because <laughs> sure. it's super so cool. You can play Yahtzee." <laughs> I always remember Yahtzee as the game the vampires played in True Blood. <laughs> They played Yahtzee? Yeah, the, the like really old, like uptight, like we're too fancy for everybody vampire. They just sat around playing Yahtzee all the time. <laughs> they were just so wow. bored. That's all they played was just, they were like from the 20s. So they just played Yahtzee. Yeah. That's so it, funny. It, it, obscure reference. Go ahead with your game thing. <laughs> that sounds awful. So anyway, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to, to turn this into a roll and write style game where you capture the idea of dinosaurs moving across the board like you are working together to move dinosaurs um and you are bombing this island well you're not but the volcano is bombing this island right mm -hmm. and you have to get out before the island um and before the island is destroyed so i love the idea that it's a co-op game right because that's the idea was it is co-op to make it still a co-op game um because there's not a ton of co-op rolling rights there are some uh but the idea of you have a joint board in the middle I don't even think you need like a character sheet. I think you could have like a character like card with information on it, right. but that you wouldn't actually have to be able to write on it. Um, then again, would maybe each you could have like an ability. So yeah, right now each character has an ability that slightly breaks the rules of how to move the dinosaurs um, or the way the traps work. Cause the way it's designed right now is there are five dinosaurs and five traps and you can use, Every dinosaur has a favorite trap, which basically is like the trap that will always catch it, right? Like, for instance, like the T-Rex is a pit trap because T-Rexes are big and mean. So if you can just drop them in a pit, then you're good, right? Right. Um, the pterodactyl has the net because you might shoot it out of the sky with a net, but you cannot capture it with a pit trap because it's flying, right? Right, yeah. Um, I mean, of course, and then every other that you can't right. That. Yeah. And then every other trap in between requires you to roll to capture them. Right. right. So if I use their best trap, I get them automatically. Otherwise, I have to roll for it. Right. Okay. Um, and um, and then, yes, they have the trap that never works. Um, and so what I was trying to do was trying to figure out how to switch that over. So my, my initial thought was like to do d6s like so make it basically make the playable area on the board 36 squares um and the way that it the way that the current game works it's 64 squares but there's an additional row on the left and a row across the top that's a safe zone and that's where the dinosaurs enter from and that zone will never have lava fall in it it's represented as basically being like higher ground right um on the board so the idea being that like you'll never rule those spots right but then as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, you could actually have some fun with it. Like you could actually just number the board, right? Um, wait, no, you can't do that. Then it would be multiplication. Never mind. Um, well, the way, that I, the way that I would do it and what I was going to say to you was anytime you do that cross-referencing of like col rows and columns, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like mm -hmm. row B, but column three kind yeah. of thing. You have to find the spot. I always find that to be 
I think that's a turnoff for a lot of people. I think that's hard to grasp. And especially if it's a kid's game, I think that that's going to be like a, a slightly hard mechanic to try to, to get a kid's brain to like think about over and over and over again to do that. I find that even adults just have a hard, it just it like for the flow of a game, I feel like it just sort of slows things down. It's like a, it's like a speed bump to play. Anytime I have to cross reference a thing and a thing to find another thing. Um, so the way that I thought you could do it, if you want to use D sixes is you split your Island up into six zones zone, you know, and then you can theme the zones one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm. And then within mm-hmm. that zone, there's six squares. So you're, you roll your large die, then your small die, you know, you know what I mean? Like one is for the zone you're in and then is the square in the, the next die roll is the square in that zone. So that you're not cross-referencing a column in a row, right. which doesn't have any kind of narrative weight to it. Your first die roll is to find out which zone on the island and then your next die roll is to find out which space on that zone. Right. So you're going from large to small. Does that make sense? You're awful. That's really good. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> really good. I don't know if I would so go more than can... two layers with that. Like, Right. No. And well, the other thought would be that like to make it even slightly more strategic, you could say pick a number for the zone and then pick a number for the space. Right. 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 Um, but that you can't go on a space you've already gone on. Right. Um, right. You know, or figure out something around that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Even I mean, either way, I think it's fine. But I also kind of like the choice of like pick this zone and now you have to pick which now you know which one it's going to do right right and then you could um, have it, it also gives because you can give a name to a zone but you can't really give a name to like a row or a column right you could then have characters that do things in a zone right, right. you can say this guy's the bushwhacker right. and he's really good in the jungle zone right and that's zone one is the jungle right well, zone five is the desert or whatever you know right one of the things i was thinking with the characters so here's how it, an idea i had for and now this this might be a lot for kids, so but I was willing to give it a try. Was if you're thinking like eight plus on a game like this, right? So not kids, kids, like you know, younger, like family oriented, right? Sure. Um, my one of my thoughts was that you could do a simple dice draft, right, where you roll all the d sixes, and then every character has a power correlated to one of the to a number, right? Um, and one of the powers for every character is go, you know, I actually just thought of this on the fly because of what Anthony said, but like one of the characters ability would, every character would have the ability that says go to zone number right. that you select. Right. So I need to get to six to plan a trap, you know? Um, and then ones are always place a trap, right? Twos are always do this other thing. Um, and then, you know, threes are always move a dinosaur. Um, Right. And, and in the then you play version, you can just give a little legend for what the numbers are. Right. But in the, if you wanted to sell it as a product, you could have custom dice that would just have the symbols of the action on them as opposed to the numbers. Right. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because even like sticker dice from um, Game like Gamecrafter aren't ridiculously expensive. I mean, yeah. they're, well, they kind of are, but um, yeah. Yeah. So you could also, plus they have like you, the. If you did the, um, the zones, you could also like just have six to make up the board, but you could have way more than six. And then you can have like special characters for each zone. And then whatever zones are in the game, you use those characters. Right. Yeah. And you could then have multiple zones to where people print off, you know, like two pages worth of zones and cut them up. And then you just pick the ones you want to use and place them together to form your Island. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, so, cause I, I want it to be simple enough to play, but I also want it to be something intriguing, you know, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. um, and that maybe there could be more adult rules too, that make it, you know, more difficult. I, I mean, more difficult, not like, you know, not like sexy dinosaurs or something right, like, yeah. you know, right, just to right. be clear. Well, you could um, even make the, you could even make the, um, the kids version B that they get to choose the zone and the space where they put a thing. And then the adult version is they have to roll for where things happen. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah. Because then adults have to work with the randomness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Just like real so, life. Just like real life. Right. <laughs> so I think that that, yeah, I mean, I think that I can whip up a simple system on that to at least be able to say, okay, this is how this works. I can make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, awesome, thank you. Of, yeah, thanks for pitching it to us. We it, like it. It, it reminds cool. me a lot of a game that I've been, like, thinking about every once in a while in my head is I really want to make like, um, do you remember the old video game Rampart? 
Yeah, yeah, I do. Where you would I do have, it was two different islands, and you would build your castle out of like essentially tetraminos, mm-hmm. right? You and any uh, cannons that you like surrounded with your castle wall, you then got to shoot at the enemy castles. You had a round of shooting and then a round of rebuilding and then a round of shooting and you would blow up your enemy castle and they had to try to rebuild it and so forth. And I've really wanted to make a, a like board game version of this where you have an Island and you send over invaders, but you're trying to maintain your walls while you're bombing the other islands. Um, and the problem I, I've, I come across often is that I would have to use a row column sort of like, you know, shot Custom. divergence, right? You'd say, I'm trying to shoot here, and then you would roll some dice to find out how far from the place you picked the, right. the bomb would, would fall. And I just think that's too... It's, too it just bad. slows everything down having to do that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, like, stuck mm-hmm. trying to figure out an easier way to do that. So there you go. So that reminds me of a similar mm-hmm. thing, because you're talking about yeah. volcano dr- bombs dropping on a co-op game. Right. No, that's great. I appreciate that. Sweet. All right. Well... We, uh, yeah, we should call this here because we are actually long now. The internet is running out of time. <laughs> yeah, but thank you two for coming on and uh, chatting about us, all this fun stuff. All right, listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. Email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Call us at 770-TELL-BTG. Or you can find us on Twitter at podcastbtg, at J.A. Slingerland, at Toits. And Anthony, you are at... Anthony. At Anthony no. Amato I I I. No, it's yes. Amato I I I. A Amato At, I I I. It's A Amato I I I. Just get in touch really with Nicole. Time. She's my she's my face. <laughs> she's my face. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh so yes. Uh Evan, uh find us on all the different places that uh have uh downloading stuff, I guess. Whatever. I don't know. I said words. <laughs> Any event. Find good us night. Podcasts are sold. Yes, we're refined podcasters. So, all right, no, for real. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial seven seven zero. Tell BTG. Please don't use the email.